This message series, Blessed, is based on a book by Dave Ferguson where we've been learning a way to live life that we can bless other people, that you can bless other people, that you could take what God is giving you and share life with others. And each one of those letters, B-L-E-S-S, stands for a practice. There's some icons here on this next screen where you'll be able to see what each one of these uh, letters means. The B stands for begin with prayer. It all starts there. We begin by praying for people that have been put in our life, coworkers, family members, friends, uh, teammates, classmates of yours. We pray for them uh, because God gives you a burden for them in your heart. Last week we talked about L, listen. Uh, the skill of listening, right? It's a skill that we think we're good at, but we're not really good at it as we think. So the L stands for listen. And today is uh, a practice that everybody could get excited about. Today, the E stands for eat together. Somebody say amen, eat together. Woo, yeah, like that's, hey, I could do that, right? I could eat together. So how do you bless somebody uh, just by sharing a meal with them? We're going to be talking about that today. But let's do a little bit of review. Um, you know, you're blessed, right? Whether you feel like it or not, you're alive. There's air in your lungs. You're here today. God's got a mission and a purpose for your life, and you're blessed. So just say, I'm blessed. Let me hear you say, I'm blessed. You are blessed. Let's prove it. Ephesians 1.3. This is the word of God. This is what God proclaims over your life. Not new life, not me, not no one else. This is what God has to say. He says, all praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because you are united with Christ. So when you're walking with Christ, when you're abiding in him, you are a blessed individual. Uh, that's part of, of the pleasure of knowing and loving God. You, you have a purpose in life. You, you're born for something bigger than just your nine to five. You were born for something bigger than just paying taxes and paying your bills and raising great kids. God has put eternity into your heart. That's what his word says. So you have a bigger mission, a bigger purpose in life. And your purpose is to know and to love God. It's very simple. Why were you born? Two things, to know and to love God. Get a job, pay bills, raise a great family, own a home, get a 401k, retire well. Those are, those are blessings. Those are extras. But your purpose is to know and to love God. And when you live out your purpose to know and to love God, you experience the greatest pleasure in life. So from fulfilling your purpose of knowing and loving him, you experience the greatest pleasure in life. What's the greatest pleasure in life? To be known and to be loved by God. That is the greatest thing you'll ever experience. Okay, you might have a wonderful career. You might be changing people's lives in what you do. You might be raising great kids. And again, those are blessings. Those are important. Cherish those moments. But the greatest experience, the greatest pleasure that you could have in life is to say, I am known and I am loved by God. And you experience that from operating within your purpose to know and to love him. Now, your purpose is to know and to love him, but your mission, your mission in life, Jesus explains to us what the mission is in life, and he calls those things the great commandment. The mission in life is to love people, to love God, and the great command, commission is to make disciples. So in this series, we've been talking about how do we fulfill the great commandment and the great commission that God has put on our life. And we use these practices, B-L-E-S-S, -S, to live that out. So we pray for people. 
people that God has given you a burden for. We pray for them. Then we sit and we listen to them. We try to understand them. We try to, to, to connect with them on that level. We don't just listen to words. We don't just listen to information. We don't listen to respond. We listen to people's hearts, to their hurts, to their habits, to their hopes, and to their history. That's how you bless someone. And all of this is to say this, and when you came in again, I hope you got this handout. At the very top, this is uh, the big idea for really this whole series, and I want you to fill this down in here. Um, the big idea for this whole series is that you are not meant to pursue your mission solo. You're not meant to pursue your mission solo. Uh, when God says he's blessed you, and he wants you to be a blessing to someone else. That means you have to have people in your life. Um, and whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, or you say, I don't, I, I don't like being around people, I'd rather flow by myself. Uh, it is impossible for you to bless others if there's no others around you. So the big idea there, number one, is you are not meant to pursue your mission solo. Solo. You're not meant to, to pursue it solo. You have to have people in your life um, and we all do. We have family members, we have friends, you have coworkers, you have classmates, you have people that you associate with, you have neighbors, um, and those people are put in your life for a reason. And one of the easiest ways and simplest ways that you can bless someone is by sharing a meal. It's by sharing a meal. There's this amazing story that happened a few years ago. Uh, a 28-year-old single father uh, went to a McDonald's to get his breakfast. He did this several times per week. It was part of his morning routine. He walked into the McDonald's. This was in Indiana. And he had a seat at the table, and he was eating his breakfast. As he was eating his breakfast, a 70-year-old widow walked in. And she saw him eating alone, and she walked up to him, and she said, Hey, can I eat with you? And 28-year-old uh, Eric Harrelson said, sure, you can sit down and uh, have breakfast with me. So these two complete strangers, they didn't know each other. They're about as polar opposite as you could get. You can see that from the screen. They sat and they shared a breakfast and they spoke for about 45 minutes. They talked about his job. They talked about her husband that she had lost. They talked about his son. They talked about what they liked to do. They both had a passion for art. They both uh, wanted the best things in life. 70-year-old Jan shared some of her wisdom with Eric, and 45 minutes after they had breakfast, Eric walked Jan to her car, shut the door for her, they exchanged numbers with a promise to do this again. There was a random person eating there that was so shocked by what they saw that two strangers could share a meal. She took a picture of it, she posted it on her social media, and within 24 hours, that picture had gotten over 10,000 likes, like 20,000 comments. I mean, it went viral because two strangers shared a meal. It made the news that the Today Show reached out to the two individuals. Now, 70-year-old Jan, she didn't want no part of this, you know, media storm. Uh, the 28-year-old, he gave a couple interviews. We have the headline there on the next slide of the Today Show when they reached out to them. And actually, the McDonald's restaurant where they ate the meal, they dedicated a table in the restaurant, and they put that plaque there that you see on the side. They called it a community table. They said this table is reserved for strangers who want to come and just share a meal together. Why was this moment so viral? Because this doesn't happen anymore. You don't see people sharing meals together, especially strangers. 
And what's wild is that there's 50 years of research, the Harvard Graduate School researched the benefits of people that eat together, families that have dinners together. And there's over 50 years of research that, that proves that regardless of your race, regardless of your income level, regardless of what country of origin you're from, regardless of what language you speak, uh, regardless of what age you are, Sharing meals together benefits people socially, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. There's a whole body of research behind this. Why? There's one really simple explanation. Everybody eats. Everybody eats. It's something we all have in common. But what's shocking is, when they did a survey in 2017, over 1,400 people responded to the survey and they found that almost 50% of people eat meals alone. Over 50% of people eat their meals by themselves. So there is a great opportunity here, I think, for the people of God to step in and fill this void. So here's your key idea. I want you to write this into your note. To bless others, Jesus invites you to eat with them. How simple is that? To bless others, Jesus invites you. He gives us the example. He gives us the role model of how to bless others. And it's as simple as sitting down and enjoying a meal with them. Why? Because meals have way of taking relationship to the next level, right? Um, how many of you here who uh, are married or were married um, or are dating, how many of your first dates with your significant other were to a restaurant? Raise your hand if that was you. Okay, why, why did we do that? It's because over a meal, words are shared, right? Words are spoken. We listen. We understand each other. The dinner table or the, 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 the meal table is a way, is a conduit of taking relationship to the next level. So it's a great space, and it's something that we already do. And, and, and here's the truth. You can change the world by eating, believe it or not. Believe it or not. Alan Hirsch, who studies discipleship, this man speaks all around the world on the best practices in discipleship. Listen to what he says. He says, sharing meals on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices that we can engage in as believers. One of the most sacred practices. If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal just once a week, you could literally change the world by eating. Change the world by eating. Eating together. Jesus is the example for this. When you think about how Jesus' life impacted people, you might think, well, he performed miracles. His teachings were, you know, mind-blowing. He healed others. The man walked on water. Those are the ways he impacted people's lives. You may think that, but often the way we find Jesus impacting the lives of people was across a dinner table. Jesus sitting and sharing a meal with others. Where was Jesus' first miracle? At a wedding feast. And he turned water into wine. Listen, you want to be invited to a lot of weddings? Turn water into wine. You'll get invited to every wedding in town, I have a feeling, right? Jesus impacting people's lives where? At a celebration, at a dinner party for a wedding. Jesus, one of his most powerful and known miracles was what? Feeding 
5,000 people, providing food so that 5,000 men, plus their families, their children, their wives, could have food to eat. Jesus impacting people across a dinner table. When Jesus' last moments with his team were spent, what did he do? He called a dinner together. It's called the Last Supper. And Jesus was reassuring them and Jesus was teaching them about what was going to happen and what they were going to see and what they were going to experience. And how did Jesus teach them about his death, burial, and resurrection? He did it over dinner. He did it over supper. When Jesus was resurrected, we find him on the beach. This is so cool. Having a fish barbecue with some of his disciples and he's explaining to them What's going to happen next? After the resurrection, the most mind-blowing moment in the history of the world, Jesus has a fish barbecue on the beachfront with his disciples, teaching, explaining over what? The dinner table. Eating in the times of Jesus gave value and dignity to a person. It showed you are worth something to me that we will sit together, we will share this table, and on this table there is food that's providing strength and life for you, and that same food is providing strength and life for me. There was intimacy, there was closeness, there was meaning behind the dinner table, and Jesus saw this as something central to his mission. So yes, Jesus impacted people by performing miracles, by by giving sight to the blind, by curing the sick, uh, by, by raising the dead like he did with Lazarus. But we find Jesus most often touching the lives of people across the dinner table. And that should tell us something about how we can bless others. It's just amazing. Jesus, one of the ways he referred to himself was the son of man. And there's scripture that say, why did the Son of Man come? And Jesus would teach, the Son of Man came, and here's some popular ones. The Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve others, right? And to be a ransom for many, that's very popular. Why did the Son of Man come? Well, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus said that about himself too. But if you look at Luke 7, uh, verse 34, he also says this, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Now, if you keep reading this verse, Jesus explains some think of him as a glutton and as a drunkard, because that's how often he was found at the table with people. And the religious people and the people who didn't know them, they said, that's the man, that's the son of man who proclaims to be the Messiah. The man must be a drunk. He must be a glutton because he's always at a table. And Jesus explains, you know, I have come eating and drinking, to be with the people, to hear their hearts, to hear their hurts, to hear their habits, their histories, and their hopes. And Jesus, we find the most often impacting people, living his mission that he teaches us of loving God and loving people and making disciples. And one of the ways he did it was sharing a meal with people. Now, what's super cool about this is the people who Jesus ate with. Because you would think Jesus, you know, someone who had that much influence and that much power, probably ate with the most elite people in society. That's wrong. The, The people that you see Jesus eating with were the people no one wanted to be around. Were the people that no one had time for. The ones who weren't on the VIP list, those are the people that Jesus would eat with. We see a clear example of this. In Matthew chapter 9. So if you're in your Bibles, we're going to walk the steps of Jesus here as he attends this dinner party. And he shows us 
the amazing opportunity we could have, church, to bless others simply by sharing a meal with them. So beginning in verse 9 in Matthew chapter 9, I'm reading out of the message translation this morning. It starts there again. Jesus is passing along. Now again, that's important. We cannot miss that because here's Jesus in his everyday life. He's just passing along. He's just doing what he does. He's just walking uh, the, the land, right? He's just calling people out. He's just engaging with others. And the way you bless people is by living your daily life. When you go to work, you can bless people. When you are cutting your grass and your neighbor comes out of their house, you have a conversation, you can bless that person, right? You can invite people to your home, host them, feed them. You bless them. You bless people in your everyday life, in your everyday conversations. Uh, this is not a program. Bless is not a program. Bless is a way of living, You're saying, I'm going to choose to be a blessing to somebody. So here's Jesus just passing along, and he's going to choose to be a blessing to someone. Jesus sees a man. He's working. He's collecting taxes. His name was Matthew, who also happened to be writing this gospel. Jesus says to Matthew, come, come along with me. Matthew stood up, and he followed Jesus. Now, anyone who was there watching this, this was shocking for one reason. Matthew was a tax collector. No one spoke to tax collectors. Everybody hated tax collectors. Why? Because they're a tax collector. Anyone enjoy talking to bill collectors? I've never seen someone take a call on their phone and say, oh, it's a bill collector. Hold on, I got to take it. If anything, we see that call and we're like, red button, red button, red button. No one spokes, no one speaks to bill collectors. They're like the least popular people on the planet. Tax collectors were the same thing. Not only were they hated because they were there to take your money, but they were cheaters. They were connivers. You know, if the Roman government wanted 15%, they would charge you 25. 15 for Rome, 10 for me. Not much has changed, right? So people hated these men. They, They couldn't stand them. And here Jesus chooses him to be on his team. And he says, come, follow me. Verse 10. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house, Jesus wastes no time. Isn't it cool that when Jesus calls Matthew out to follow him, he doesn't say, okay, Matthew, we're going to put you in Bible school. Or Matthew, it's time to start learning scripture. Here's the old Torah, memorize all of it. Or okay, Matthew, this is how you evangelize. This is Jesus didn't start training Matthew when he calls him out. The first thing Jesus does when he calls Matthew to join his team, he says, hey, we're going to have dinner. We're going to share a table. And they go to Matthew's house. That's smart. So they're having dinner at Matthew's house. It's Jesus' team. Now look at the next line. A lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. Disreputable characters is a very kind word for saying pimps, players, and prostitutes. Those are the people who show up to this dinner. And who's there sitting with them? Jesus. Now, I don't know what picture you have of Jesus. Maybe it's that picture that your parents hung in your house, that painted, very Anglo, clean-looking Jesus, that that serious look, you know? And you would say, that Jesus might not feel comfortable at a dinner party with a bunch of pimps, players, and prostitutes, and tax collectors. But Jesus is in his element. Because there's other people there watching who are noticing what's going on. And they have opinions. They have thoughts. If this was happening in modern culture, uh, people would be taking pictures and tweeting this out. And saying, yo, you'll never find who I found God hanging out with. And this would be viral. 
there's a misunderstanding that this helps break. One is that Jesus is after religion. Jesus doesn't want your religion. Uh, Jesus wasn't there doing religious things. He doesn't have Matthew doing religious things right now. Now listen, uh, knowing the word of God, uh, reading the word of God, praying, fasting, things that people would call religious. Those are important practices and habits that as a follower of Jesus, you should take upon. And you should learn and you should be in a rhythm of doing them frequently because they grow your faith and they grow you as a believer in God. But Jesus is not after your sacrifice. He's not after your religion. Okay? What does he want Matthew to do? Hey, hold a dinner party and bring all the players, all the pimps, and all the prostitutes you can to this party. Because that's why I came here. You see, it breaks up this religious component that we sometimes have of this real clean Jesus who wants nothing to do with the people who are seen as undesirable. No, Jesus has a heart for the undesirable people. Jesus came for the undesirable people. And he's going to explain that here in a moment. Another thing this does here is it should make you think that Jesus can maybe never have a relationship with a person like you. Maybe you come with a history. Maybe you're here with a background. Maybe there's things in your past that you still carry some shame or some embarrassment about that you're wrestling with that you haven't been healed from. And and maybe you wonder, you know, when you have those moments of deep thoughts, you know, could Jesus love a person like me? Could, Could Jesus accept me, because I know what I've done. I know what I've said. I know how I've lived. Listen, you know, other people in your life may not know, but you know, and guess what? He already knows. And guess what? He still loves you. He still accepts you. He's still begging you, come to the party, come to the table, sit across from me. Let's build a relationship. Let's take this thing to the next level. Listen, if Jesus could sit at this party with this crowd, he could sit with you too. So never question that. Can Jesus love a person like me? He does. He does, and he does right now. So let's continue with this story because it gets even better. So here's Jesus. He's at this dinner party with all the disreputable people. And who are there? The religious people are there. We keep reading. It says, when the Pharisees saw him, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. These were the people that uh, Jesus was always getting into disagreements with them and conflict with them because they prioritized religion over relationship. To them, hey, if you knew the scriptures, if you followed the law, if you looked at the part, you were good. Um, Jesus called these people whitewashed tombs. I love that. That was a a good uh, word by Jesus because he said, you're a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, you look all clean. You look all pretty. You look all put together. But everything inside of you is dead. There's no life in you. You're just a whitewashed tomb. Now, these people are watching. And as they're watching him, they say this. They have a fit. They have a fit. And they lit into Jesus' followers. They start telling the other disciples that are there. And they say this. Listen to this. What kind of example is this? They're talking about Jesus. What kind of example is this from your teacher? Acting cozy. That tells you that Jesus was engaging these people. That tells you Jesus was in the crowd of the undesirables. Jesus is there with them. He's cozying up with them. And these Pharisees say, what kind of example is this from your teacher? Acting cozy with crooks and with misfits. These are not religious people. Jesus had a heart for the misfit. When everyone avoided the leper, what did Jesus do? He reaches out and he touches the leper. 
When everyone would not even go near a woman who was bleeding, what does Jesus say? Who touched me? I want to know who you are because your healing is waiting for you. When people walked past the blind, Jesus was the one who said, no, I'm going to stop, bring them to me. I want to hear them. I want to listen to them. Jesus had a heart for the Samaritans. When the Samaritan woman was at the well, she was there when no one else was going to be around. She was trying to avoid people. She couldn't avoid Jesus because he was there and he was there to speak to her, to love her, to change her life, to bless her. Jesus had a heart for the undesirables. And here we see it again. You know, never let religious people criticize you when you associate with undesirables. Because religious people will do that, won't they? They'll say, oh, you're going to have dinner with that person? Did you know what they posted on their social media last week? One, Jesus loves that person. Two, Jesus has a purpose and a plan and a mission for that person's life. Three, if God wants to use me to bless that person, then so be it. So don't let religious people talk you off the ledge of reaching out to those who most need him. Because they will do that. Now, Jesus is overhearing this conversation. He's a great listener. Verse 12, Jesus overhearing, he shoots back to the Pharisees and he says this, who needs a doctor? He's asking a rhetorical question. He says, do the healthy need a doctor or the sick? And then he gives them some homework. He says, go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So your religious ideals is not what I'm about. I desire mercy and love and compassion for the people. He says, I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Man, if there's, if there's an ethos to eating with others, let us have a heart that invites the outsider. Let us have a heart that invites those that are far from God. Because he wants to use you to bless them. And the most simple of ways to do it is by sharing a table. Now, one thing I want to clarify, when Jesus says, I didn't come for the healthy, he wasn't calling the Pharisees the healthy. Oh, they thought they were healthy. They thought they were all good with God, but they were just as sick as the pimps and the players and the prostitutes that were there eating with Jesus. Because of their pride, because of their ego, and because of their religious self-righteousness, they were just as sick as the undesirables. So Jesus is saying, I came for the sick, not the healthy. Jesus blesses people. Religious people follow rules. There's a clear difference there. I, I love what Henry Nouwen says about what we become when we share a meal with others. What do we become? And this is what Jesus was becoming to those pimps, to those players, to those prostitutes, to those crooks, to those misfits. This is what Jesus was becoming. Listen to this. He says, Henry Nouwen says this, when we invite friends for a meal, we do much more for them than just give them food for their bodies. We offer them friendship, fellowship, good conversation, intimacy, closeness. When you say to your friends or, or the stranger or the person you invite into your home and you say to them, help yourself, take some more. Listen, don't be shy. Have another glass. We offer our guests not only our food and drink, but you also offer them yourself. 
And that's what Jesus was doing. He was offering himself to these people. He says a spiritual bond grows and we become the food and the drink for one another. Oh, that's such a good word. God wants to use you to become the food and drink for someone else. This idea, this example that Jesus gives lasted in the book of Acts after Jesus has ascended and gone to heaven. We get a description about what the early disciples did, how they lived, what they prioritized, what they were about. And in Acts 2.42, a very famous scripture, it said, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Again, understanding the word, yes, very important. But they also devoted themselves to what? To fellowship and to the breaking of bread, the sharing of meals. That means what the early church concentrated on, they said, we're gonna know the word of God. The teaching is important, but what was equally important? Sharing the meals. This culture, this component of blessing others continues from the early church till today. And God wants to use you to do it. So here's how I want to finish my time. On your notes, at the bottom, because when the challenge is, hey, share a meal with people, usually the excuses start to come out (laughs) why you can't do it. Why you can't do it. So I want to bust some excuses this morning, very briefly. And I'm going to share with you three of the most common excuses that people make to why they cannot share a meal with somebody. And then give you some simple solutions to overcome all of those excuses. Because church, simply, you know what they are? Excuses. They're just excuses. And they can be overcome. Pretty simply. Okay? And then on the other side, there's just a practical tool that I want to share with you to challenge you to say, hey, what would it look like this week if you say, I'm going to try to share uh, maybe not even a full meal, a cup of coffee with, with three people this week. If I were to ask you how many meals you eat in a week, some of you might give the standard 21, three meals, seven times a day. Some of you say might, might be more than that. That's Okay. Some of you might be way less than that. I don't know how okay that is. Um, But we all eat. You don't need to schedule this in. You don't need to add any more minutes to your schedule because you already eat. It's just being intentional about doing it with someone else there with you. All right, but let's bust some of these myths, some of these excuses. The first excuse that people come out with is that I don't like having people in my house, right? Um, And and listen, some of you say, well, I can't cook. How am I going to share? I don't even want to eat my own food. Why am I going to cook for someone else and force them to make it? Like, that makes no sense, right? I can't cook. I hate my food. My house is small. My house is dirty. My house is dingy. It looks like a 1980s sitcom set. It's outdated. Uh, I don't even have a table. How am I supposed to share a table when I don't even have a table? And I don't like having people over my house. Listen, if that's you, I get it. Uh, I understand, but I want you to change your thinking. Uh, What you eat and where you eat is not what's important. What you eat and where you eat are not what's important. It's who you're eating with. That's what's important. That's what's important. So change the mind a little bit. Stop thinking so much about, oh, what am I going to make? How's it going to taste? Where am I going to present all this stuff? Change the thinking from the what and and, and the where to more prioritizing the who. What's important? That you're spending time with somebody. That you're blessing them. And here's another solution for this problem. It's called uh, portillos, it's called pot bellies, it's called home run in. Um, it's, 
We are blessed to live in a city that has some of the best restaurants in the world. So if you cannot cook, order out. Order out. If your house is a mess, you could still host somebody for a meal at Portillo's, at Potbelly's, right? At Five Guys. You pick your spot, right? So let's get rid of that idea. Well, I, I don't like having people in my home, and, and it's small, and I don't have a table. No, there's other places you could share a meal. It's possible. But here's the thing, here's the catch. If you say, hey, let's go have lunch at Potbelly's, you treat them. Don't be that person that the bill comes and you push the, you push the check. Or you'd be like, oh, I only have Apple Pay. I only have Apple Pay. Apple Pay is like the golden excuse now, everyone. I can't pay, I only have Apple Pay. And carry a wallet. Cash still works in this world for now. Use it. Okay, so the excuse, you don't like having people in your home, get over it. What you eat and where you eat is not what's important. It's who you're with. It's not what's on the table. It's who's at the table. Ah, there you go. It's not what, what's on the table. It's who's at the table that matters. Okay, excuse number two. Another very popular excuse. You know, if I have somebody over for dinner, I ain't going to know what to say to them. Like, I hate awkward silences, right? Anybody here hate awkward silences, right? They're kind of awkward. They're, 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 they get weird. They get... Uh, you might say, I'm an introvert. I'm not gifted in hospitality. You don't like those software islances. You, su- you suffer from social anxiety. You feel the pressure of carrying on a conversation. It's okay. Let me calm your nerves. Here's the solution for that. What did we talk about last week? Listening. The dinner table is the perfect place to practice the skill of listening of listening. Don't worry about what you have to say. Your job is more to be there to what? To listen to people, to listen to people. And hey, can I help you? Can I give you some tangible help? Can we put up the next slide here? I want everyone to take a picture of it. This is you. You're, you're just, conversations are difficult for you. Here are five easy questions that you could ask over dinner. And these questions will fill easily two hours of time. Just these five questions. I've practiced this, I've lived through this, I've done this. The first question alone could take 45 minutes to an hour for someone to really get through. Right, hey, where did you grow up? And then you just sit back and you what? You listen. And what are we listening for, to respond? No, are we listening for information? Not so much, you're listening to what? To understand that person, to hear their hearts, to hear their hurts, to hear their hopes, to hear their history, and to hear their habits. So here's a simple way to get over this, this excuse of, well, I won't know what to say. You don't have to say much. Ask questions. And then what? Listen. Listen to them. You'll be shocked of how filling it is for some people. Because remember last week, we mentioned when someone feels unheard and ununderstood, they feel unloved. And when you can make a person feel heard and understood, you'll fill their love tank. You'll fill their love tank. I was speaking with uh, someone from my job this week, and their kids were away, and she said, you know, me and my husband were able to go out to to dinner, and and we went out, and we put our phones away, and we just talked for like an hour straight, and she's like, man, it made me feel so good just to talk. I'm like, there you go. There you go. Time to connect with people. So the excuse, if you have it, you don't know what to say, you don't have to say much. Your job is more to listen, to listen, to ask Five simple questions that could fill the whole time. You'll fill the whole time. Very last common excuse, I don't have time. Some of you are saying, I don't even eat with my own family. 
You want me to host someone for dinner? Like, how's that going to look? It seems impossible. And listen, I understand this too. I understand this too. It could seem impossible to make time into your schedule to drink a cup of coffee with somebody or share a meal with somebody. But this is where you overcome this by planning. Okay, you have to plan. You have to have a plan. And, and that's where we could turn over, turn over to your handout to this little nifty little schedule here. There, here are those 21, or actually there's uh, 28 slots here because we built in coffee. We built in coffee time. I know some of you are really serious about your coffee, right? I mean, we could probably start a war in here over Starbucks and Dunkin'. Some of you are so serious about that, right? Um, so, hey, what would it look like to plan this week to say, you know, I'm going to share just a cup of co- coffee with somebody. Invite them out and say, hey, let's walk over to the Dunkin' or I'll meet you at Starbucks um, or invite someone to your house for lunch or for dinner. So here are 28 slots. You have 28 slots. You do this already. This adds zero time to your, to your schedule because you're already doing this. Okay? So the whole idea of you don't have time, no, you're eating you're all eating. You already eat. You do it. Again, some more than others, right? Some may have 28. Some may have 35. Some of you might only have 14 or 7. But you eat. Everybody eats. That's why there's a huge opportunity here. So what would it look like? I want you to think about this. What would it look like if we were a church who really practiced this? What would it look like if all of us here, maybe not even three, but just one person this week, you shared some kind of meal with them, some kind of coffee with them, and you just listened to them. You just blessed them. Think about how you could change people's life. Think about what that would mean for our church. Think about what that would mean for your neighborhood, for your block, for your family, for your job. If this was something that we practice differently, we can impact the world simply by eating. By eating. How do we know it? Because Jesus did it. Jesus did it. This is how he impacted people. He sat across the table and he ate with them. And remember the people that he ate with. It wasn't the people that maybe weren't the most popular or the most powerful, but there were people who were far from him who needed that interaction with him. And God wants to use you to do the same thing. Amen. Can we stand together?